This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We take a peek at the Colorado Rockies. We expect to be joined by Drew Kreisman from Mile High uh, Sports to talk about the, uh, the Rockies stand, baseball writers of America. And uh, what are the men doing? Um, let, let's be honest, uh, doing some tough work right now because the Colorado it's Rockies. combat duty. Uh, yeah, it is. It is rough for the Colorado Rockies. And here's the thing. It's not a surprise, but Sandy, after a little blip in which the Rockies played rather well for about a two-week span, uh, they are back on pace to perhaps lose 100 games once more. Well, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there was a stretch after they began 8-20 and 20 at the end of April and well into May. They won 10 out of 14 games. Yep. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. The stretch you're out of 14. To. Somehow. Since that time, they have lost 23 out of 34 games. Oh, boy. And they have lost seven straight. And they are 5 and 14 in June, which is well off the 9 and 20 pace that they were setting in the month right. of April, which would put them in line right now. Based on the record overall of 29 and 47 to lose exactly 100 games. It is June 21st as it stands right now. The Rockies, by the way, uh, lost again today in the matinee finale to the Cincinnati Reds. Which started at about 5 o'clock this morning. Yes, 1030 this morning. But, I mean, here we are. It is the 21st. The Rockies have won five games this month. And, well, they're five and fifteen now with right. the loss. I was talking about right. prior. To oh, I know, today. but I mean, we're talking. So make it twenty-four out of thirty-five. Make right. it eight in a row, and make it five and fifteen in the month of June. And they are on pace to lose actually uh, somewhere between one hundred and one hundred one games. Uh, but they are back on the one hundred loss track. Is the point something they have never done in their never history happened. and we've talked about it because quite frankly it's rather difficult to do because of the nature of course field joining us to talk about it as andy said on combat duty covering the rockies for my life sports is our friend drew creaseman uh finally get to have him on the show you can follow him on twitter at drew creaseman that's c-r-e-a-s-m-a-n uh, drew delighted to have you on the show uh thanks for joining us um Look, this is rough right now for, for the Rockies. It's been a rough season, but they're in a particularly rough patch. And, and especially in these last few games, they have had leads. Uh, they had a lead this morning, and, they were, and they've gone away in the blink of an eye. Uh, I, I guess I'll start it this way. Um, we know there's more than one. What's the Rockies' biggest problem right now? <laughs> Ah, yes. <laughs> Trying to simplify for you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's list all of them in order alphabetically. Um, no, <laughs> the biggest problem in one word is pitching. Uh, and, and I will say, if you're looking for a, a bit of silver lining or context or whatever, they, they've been absolutely decimated by injuries. Now, I, you know, after... Marquez and Freeland coming into the season, there was still a big, gigantic question mark about how the pitching was going to look after that. Uh, but then they did lose Marquez for the year. They've lost Sensatella for most of the year. Uh, but they've even lost depth pieces for long periods of time as well. So they're down to like their, 
ninth uh, and tenth. You know, in, in fact, the story today is basically indicative of what the Rockies starting pitching has been. They had to uh, call up a guy, Carl Kaufman, who quite frankly is not ready for the big leagues yet, but that's the depth they're down to. And he wasn't able to get to the ballpark in time. And so he didn't actually end up starting the game. He ended up coming in uh, after Jake Bird had pitched two innings. And, you know, that's... that's he can't make this yeah. stuff up. No, right. That's, that's essentially what it's felt like and been like for the Rockies uh, starting pitching this year. There have been times the bullpen's been okay. There have been times they've been pretty good. There have been yeah, times they've been pretty I, bad. actually... You know, I, and and I, I just want to interject this. Uh, there are two Rocky pitchers I care about in in, mm. in the sense that I, I, I root for them. I like them. Uh, Kyle Freeland I know a little bit. Uh, Daniel Bard I don't know at all, but I mm. love his story. And for those who are interested in uh, good writing around a great story, Pick up the latest edition of the New Yorker magazine. Uh, even if you don't subscribe, I think magazines are still available here and there around uh, town. They are, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you may have to search a bit. But there is a terrific, long takeout story on Daniel Bard. Beautifully written, and uh, there are things in there uh, about his story that even I did not know, but it's uh, a marvelous piece. And you leave after reading the piece believing that good things should happen to Daniel Bard. And the story certainly covers his uh, uh, travails at the World Baseball Classic uh, earlier this year. But how he's come back and actually pitched reasonably well. He walks about as many people as he strikes out now. But uh, if you look at his whip, walks plus hits per innings pitched, it isn't bad this year. It's in the middle. It's in the upper third for the Rockies pitching, at least. Yeah. Yeah. 1.37. So those are the two guys I care about. The the other guy isn't so much I don't care about him. I've never heard of some of them, including this guy who couldn't get to the ballpark today. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not your fault. Uh, The and the last place in the rotation, you know, the fifth spot has been just occupied all season by whoever is the worst pitcher in baseball at the moment. Uh, <laughs> for, for a little while, it was Jose Ureña. Uh, then it was the Nelson Lamette. Uh, we'll find out who it's going to be next time through the rotation. Uh, because, yeah, it, it, it's just been bad. I, I will say I agree with you a thousand percent. Daniel Bard, the second he came into the organization, became – Again, not that we choose favorites. I'm very objective. Uh, but, you know, some guys are a little easier to talk to. Some guys oh, of course. are, are uh, a little easier to appreciate what they've been through, what they've gone through. Uh, Daniel's also a musician, and uh, so am I. And so we talk actually probably as much music as baseball. And, uh, you know, he's, yeah, one of those guys who's so I'm much I'm guessing more than he probably that enjoys one. that. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he brings his guitar to the, the clubhouse, and, uh, you know, he'll talk baseball as much as anybody. But like a lot of these guys, you know, sometimes we forget how unnatural it is to be forced to talk about yourself, like, all the time. Right. Some, some of us, like, uh, hey, look, most people in this conversation have good enough egos. We can we can handle it. But, <laughs> you know, it's 
it's not always the most natural thing for a person to do. And I think Daniel, uh, you know, and, and I will say, I think the Rockies and all the beat reporters uh, across the board have done a really good job of recognizing that, like, yeah, if the guy needs a little bit of space, if he doesn't feel like doing the big scrum, everybody in his face today, like, we can get, we can do it tomorrow. Right. It's baseball. It's baseball. They'll be back at it tomorrow. Exactly. There's 162 games. And, and Daniel Bard, by the way, uh, ERA of 1.52, the best on the team, mm-hmm. even though, as, as Sandy pointed out, it's, uh, it's hit miss, 21 walks to 23 strikeouts, but he's managing yeah. to sort of maneuver around it. One of the other relievers that I think is interesting, I, I talked about him coming into the season, and I, I think uh, the, the complete breakout has not been there. But you look at, at Justin Lawrence at the age of 28 with that sort of frisbee slider that he throws, uh, the strikeout ratio is about 2 to 1, not really necessarily what you want to see. But he does have the third, sweeper. 30, follow, yeah, 39 right? strikeouts in 39.2 innings. The ERA of 2.95, while not dazzling, actually ranks third on the Rockies. But well, in, he in sure the, throws hard. You, he you does. Tell he's got good stuff. And in, but in recent games, however, uh, it seems like maybe the control's been an issue, been mm-hmm. walking a lot more than he strikes out. Right. Uh, hasn't cost him too much just yet. But uh, what's going on with, with Lawrence, one of the few guys that's been at least a dependable part of this bullpen? Yeah, I, I love Justin Lawrence. I, I agree with all that. Wicked stuff, probably the best just raw stuff combination yes. of anyone on the team. Uh, the fastball slider or sweeper, as he pointed out, as he prefers, uh, is just gnarly. Uh, that said, uh, he does have and has always had a bit of command issues. He comes from a funky arm slot, and that can... Mm mess with guys at, at times, but also mess with the pitcher a little bit. Uh, and there's also the fact that because of Pierce Johnson's struggles, and I, I'm, I'm really rooting for Pierce as a Colorado guy, too, Colorado native, I, I think, and I hope he can turn it around. Um, but with his struggles, then, you know, you, you've seen Lawrence kind of be forced to pitch like closing innings, and there are a lot of people who believe eh, the, no no difference, right? Stuff that plays should play anytime the last three outs, especially analytics people. But I love a lot of analytics. I prefer ERA plus to raw ERA when we're talking about raw oh, yeah. pitchers and so on. But but also the last three outs of the end of a ball game are different. They're, They're different. different. And, call and what you want. Call I, I can't Tempo, explain but. it, and and you can't either. I'm I'm sure I can't explain it logically. It's one of those things I can't explain it logically, but I know it's true. It, it, and it's just part of the psyche it's, yeah, it's just, it's of, me, it's mental. of the relief pitcher that set up men don't necessarily, even if they're successful, make good closers. And sometimes it goes the other way where a guy's been a closer, all of a sudden becomes a setup man, and it's a different dynamic. Okay. It's a different vibe. It's just a different feeling. And, you know, the pressure on the closer is is immense. Uh, I think in Daniel Bard's best year, I think is right away with the Rockies, if I'm not mistaken, um, or close to right away, he had 35 yeah. saves out of 37 opportunities. And, yeah. you know, I'm thinking of he's like most relief pitchers. He probably remembers the three times he failed as much as he remembers the 34 times right. he succeeded. Right. Man, it's one of the toughest jobs in sports. I always say we we remember only when they mess it up. We totally well, that's true. It. We all do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, it, but it is. If you can feel it, especially the more intense the ball game gets, and and I try to stay away from analysis like this. I really do. But you can 
feel in a game with no clock. Well, it didn't used to be that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't use that phrase anymore, can I? In a game where we measure time not in minutes and seconds, but in outs, the closer's on the hook. There's no one behind you. There's no clock. You can't take a knee. You can't dribble the clock out. You can't skate around. The only way the inning ends is if you get three outs. And until you make that third out, the other team gets every opportunity to take the ball game away from you. And so, yeah, you know, your seventh inning, eighth inning, you get in a jam, there might be someone come in and bail you out. Something else might happen. The, the offense might come and win the ball game later. Any number of things. But if you're out there in the bottom of the ninth trying to save a baseball game, I think getting a save on the road is one of the toughest things in all of professional sports. Like, it's it's tough. So, yeah, those those cats have to have a different mentality. Drew, I want to see if I can find a, a positive here, and I think there is clearly one. In, in 24 games this season since his call-up, Nolan Jones has been uh, remarkable. Jones, a former top prospect for Cleveland, acquired by the Rockies, uh, really originally a first baseman by trade. Uh, started at first in his first few games. Now the Rockies kind of have him alternating between uh, left, right, sometimes at first, even occasionally at third. But all he's done is hit only once in the 24 games in which he's played, and that was only, by the way, in his third and fourth game. Has he failed uh, to get hits? So, I mean, he's gotten a hit in virtually uh, all his games and hasn't gone games without getting a hit. Of late, he's been uh, consistent. He's been uh, in, in the clutch. Uh, yeah, the, the strikeout-to-walk ratio is, is, is not great in that three-to-one area, as you might expect. But he's in 354. He seems to be a consistent threat. We know that he does have power. He's got five home runs already, which on the Rockies is actually saying something, and it's only in 24 games. Uh, Has Nolan Jones basically not only forced himself into the discussion, but has he essentially made himself part of the core of the future Rockies already? I I sure hope so. You know, you you do got to see it in the sport for uh, a little bit longer, but, boy, has it been a nice, like you said, essentially month now of baseball from Nolan Jones. Uh, he already has two of the 10 longest home runs in major league uh, baseball this season and the longest walk-off home run hit in the StatCast era. So since 2015, since we've been measuring this stuff with StatCast, uh, that walk-off he hit after about a 45-minute rain delay at Coors Field. I was sitting there in the cafeteria. I was like, I'm gonna, it's going to be really funny if we walk out here and this ball game ends in like five minutes. And sure enough, uh, Nolan Jones. But I'll tell you what, not only that, it's actually his reaction to that walk-off that got me thinking, yeah, this, this guy has to be a part of the core. And, and, and with talking to him, I'll tell you this much, not that we should measure it on this, but uh, he's got more personality, or at least is willing to show mm-hmm. more personality than anybody in that clubhouse. Sure. He's excited to be there. He loves everybody. Uh, but the way he reacted, like he didn't watch that baseball come down. He was too busy yelling, let's go, and all manner, I'm sure, of other things at his teammates in the dugout. And it was more about them and and him being a part of that. It wasn't just his moment. And when you see something like that out of a guy who's just arrived on a team, you go, yeah, yeah, kid, if you can keep doing a little, just keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be around here for a good long while. Last night, by the way, you know, they did lose that game 68 and they lost today as well. But I mean, last night, four for four, two doubles, a home run, two runs scored, a walk, no strikeouts, and a steal. 
I'm not really sure what else you can do. I mean, you have all-stars that don't put up days like that all season long. So we do know that the ability is there. It's more of, I think you're right. Uh, it's early in the process. There is, uh, the you get to adjust to the league, then the league gets to adjust to you, and then we find out what kind of player you are. But, but you also get to play at Coors Field. That helps. No, that that, that right. can't hurt. But my question would be um, whether the Rockies have it much of anything beyond that. Uh, Ryan McMahon is streaky. I think his overall numbers are perfectly respectable at this point, but we, we all know he's streaky. But with a possible exception of Ryan McMahon, who other than Jones gives us any reason to believe that the hitting situation will be much different a year from now, two years from sure. now? Do they even keep a Ryan McMahon? Or do they try yeah. to trade him for pitching help? I, I mean, it's a vicious circle. This is the first time this year that I can really say, you know what, uh, they don't hit a lot, especially away from home, but pitching really is the problem. As you have suggested, it is clearly the number right. one problem. Yeah, they, they do have a lot more intriguing and promising young hitters uh, in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, even a couple of guys on the team now. Uh, Tovar's been tremendous defensively at shortstop, but right. that is behind. But he's 21 years old, and it's not awful. When you look inside of it, you're like, okay, actually, well, you know, he basically went 0 for April, and since then, yeah. he's been a solid contributor. No, I, I, I think if he's up around, uh, with respect to OPS, if he's up around on base plus slugging around 750, you can yeah. sure live with that. Right. So I think he's going to be a contributor, probably not a an all-star hitter, though he's an all-star defender, I'll tell you that much. Um, I, I I have high hopes for Elaurice Montero. The Rockies seem iffy because they keep not playing him. <laughs> but, uh, he rakes in AAA. He can hit. He's not a good defender. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if they're just waiting around for either the time when they trade the Crone Blackman group or those guys right. leave or retire or whatever else. And then maybe Monty is the guy. I like him a lot. And then of course the big name prospects are guys like Zach Veen and Drew Romo, neither of whom are super hot in the minors right, right. now, but I still think are, are going to come around. Yeah. But it may um, not be uh, it's not all that soon potentially as well. So it could be interesting to see how it shakes out. But I think that uh, yeah. y- your point is right for the, for the Rockies. I think the thing to watch is maybe uh, when healthy again, uh, C.J. Crone, Charlie Blackman, do they finish the season as Colorado Rockies? That's really the question. The Rockies are at a point where they have to decide what do they want to be when they grow up? They want to be a team with the aging veterans and a handful of young guys, or do they actually want to just throw in with the young guys and see? And the Rockies have never done the latter, even though they've claimed to do it before. So we will find out. Drew Creasman's the man that you want to follow. Follow him again on Twitter at Drew Creasman. That's C-R-E-A-S-M-A-N. And of course, you can catch him with all of our Rockies coverage on Mile High Sports, MileHighSports.com, and on the Mile High Sports app. Thanks so much for joining us. Delighted to, to get to have you. Hopefully, we'll do this some more. Absolutely. Hopefully, the team gives us reasons to talk about them. <laughs> oh, that's hope. And uh, the good kind. Thanks a lot, Drew. Thank you. The, the Rockies, as you pointed out, on pace for just at 100. And, and we talked about how Ryan McMahon is better, but there is one glaring flaw. Ryan McMahon is also on pace right now 
for 198 strikeouts. I know it's not what it used to be, but with the shift. No, there isn't the stigma attached. But it but, may come back a little bit because given the fact that the shift has changed, right. putting balls in play is becoming more important absolutely. again. Uh, to, uh, absolutely. You're closing hey, in you're, on. Yeah, you don't have to convince yeah. me that 198 strikeouts is bad. When you close bad. in on 200 strikeouts, uh, you better hit 45, 50 homers. That's that's all I got to say. And I don't think Ryan McMahon is going to do that. Uh, unfortunate, sad news coming out of the the NFL and locally at Colorado State. Clark Higgins passes away at the age of 46. We'll tell you more about that sad story next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Surprising and, uh, and sad news coming out of Pittsburgh as former uh, Steelers outside linebacker, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl 40, and former Colorado State Ram Clark Hagans passed away. Uh, age of 46, according to a spokesperson for the Steelers details, uh, are are minimal because this this story just broke a couple hours ago that no that no cause of death was disclosed. But uh, in, in Higgins, you're talking about a player that's uh, in the Colorado State uh, Rams Athletic Hall of Fame. He is still the Rams all-time uh, leader in sacks uh, with 33 and had a, had a terrific career playing 12 years in the NFL. Some of it alongside teammate uh, fellow Ram Joey Porter with the Steelers uh, when winning Super Bowl uh, 40. And in that game, as a matter of fact, had a uh, had a very significant sack that helped the Steelers to that victory. So uh, a, a shocking uh, bit of news and, and a sad bit of news coming out of the NFL and uh, with certainly some local ties. Uh, we mentioned, and this is not in any way to be interpreted as speculation, but it did come out two days ago, uh, a large study, maybe the largest ever, of uh, CTE to date has found that the cumulative force of head hits absorbed by players in their careers is the best predictor of future brain disease. Now, I'm not suggesting that. Yeah, this may not have had anything to do with it. But but when you hear of football players dying young, you do think of uh, things like this. And, And basically, it's the collective force of head hits, according to this study, not just the number of them, that increases the odds of CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, I believe. And pronouncing uh, it correctly. And the challenge, of course, is it is something that can't be diagnosed, unfortunately, uh, when someone is alive exactly at right. this stage. Exactly. There is no, there is no way to test for it. And, and like I said, we we don't know anything about it. There was no cause of of, of death released, but. Uh, obviously, a shame to see someone at the age of you know of oh, forty six. Of course, uh, led for the, any reason, led the Rams for in all time in sacks and had forty six and a half in the NFL. Uh, an effective, an effective player for a, a long time, and obviously on those uh, that Steelers team during that sort of renaissance that they had. I mean, uh, especially given the fact that that was a defense that was heavily driven by that linebacking core. Yes, and oh, and yes. A half of that starting linebacking core, Colorado State Rams in in Higgins yeah. and Porter. Yeah. Well, the Sonny Lubick glory years up in Fort Collins. Produced, uh, among others, those two players. 
And so that's a, a, a sad loss, obviously, there for uh, for the football community, for the Steelers community, and, of course, for the Colorado State community. All our best go out to, to Hagen's family and those communities as well. And, uh, you know, I assume that the more news will come out about it. But uh, Clark Hagen's, unfortunately, at the age of 46, uh, passes away today. Uh, good news. Uh, we'll flip over to that, fortunately, as well. The NHL, uh, I should say the NHL, because it's not entirely NHL, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yes. The Hockey Hall of Fame has its most recent uh, inductees. Uh, the year of the goalie, if you will, in many ways. Obviously, we're talking about uh, a lot of goaltenders going in, but one of the uh, uh, the Hockey uh, Hall of Famers, uh, surprising maybe that he wasn't even in at this point, but one, uh, Pierre Lacroix. But a lot of people thought that Pierre was still in. Uh, you and I looked at each other for a second going, wait, wasn't, wasn't he in already? Yeah. We thought about it. Uh, uh, sort of surprising and should have been in, in some ways that he should is not, been. but uh, an attempt to rectify that uh, by the Hockey Hall well, of Fame as uh, Pierre Lacroix uh, now joins uh, a, a substantial groups of greats along in this case with Ken Hitchcock in the uh, builders category. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, we were talking earlier about the Nuggets front office vis-a-vis the Avs front office. Right. Uh, the greatest executive I have ever been around in 44 years of covering sports out here was Pierre Lacroix, hands down. And there have been some terrific executives. Uh, we've talked about Carl Shear a lot over the last few weeks with the Nuggets winning their uh, first title. Um, I think John Elway needs to be in that conversation. Um, Mike Shanahan with other collaborators, Mm -hmm. I think deserves to be in that conversation. Talk about building a team that won two straight Super Bowls. That's hard to do. Um, there have been coaches who have won multiple Super Bowls, but not all of them obviously have won back. Not a lot of back to back Super Bowls. Not very many. Um, we, we can talk about all those people. Uh, the Avalanche won two Stanley Cups during Pierre Lacroix's reign, but it wasn't just the Stanley Cups they won. It was the fact that every year, for a long time, even before they arrived in Denver, they were a first-place team. Year after year after year after year and it coincided more or less with the uh, string of years that the Nuggets didn't even make the playoffs back around the mid 90s into the 2000s and the streak finally came to an end and it was something that was sort of taken for granted and Pierre Lacroix certainly always had his eye on the big prize but that kind of excellence over a sustained period of time is, was, and always will be something worth celebrating. And I don't know that anybody has had as long a run as that as a Denver executive. I I don't think there's been a person who's even close to having that kind of run. John Elway had a terrific five-year run, two Super Bowls, and a Super Bowl title, but Pierre's run of excellence at the head of this organization 
is unmatched. And I'm not I'm not knocking it. I'm just giving context. Obviously, the Avalanche at that point, by the way, also considered uh, during that run some of the highest spenders in the NHL. At times, some of the, the highest uh, salaried, one of the most expensive teams in the league because there was no NHL salary cap. There wasn't, and, and, uh, but Pierre imposed his own salary cap. Correct. Still, and he believed still had to work in a, a layered roster. And even had he been working for a well-heeled owner, comparatively speaking, he would have adhered to that layered strategy of building a team, constructing a team. And, you know, when they reached a point where there was a salary cap, they had all these great stars and they couldn't possibly keep them all. And admittedly, Pierre, after the lockout that wiped out the 0405 season in uh, the ensuing years, and there weren't a lot of them before Pierre retired, but he had trouble adjusting. But Pierre's payroll was always what Pierre thought it should be and not a dollar more. Some of the uh, the other names, of course, I mentioned uh, Ken Hitchcock. Of course, if you were an Avs fan back at that time of uh, when Pierre Lacroix was running the show, uh, few teams actually gave the Avalanche as much difficulty during that uh, that early area to their run when Ken Hitchcock was still coaching the Dallas Stars. Uh, Hitchcock, obviously, now being brought in that builder category, five players brought in. Only seven goalies have been in, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, as a coach. Hitchcock was a coach. Right, but they call it a, a builder I, I category. Do, but yeah. I, I think Hitchcock we need to distinguish right. an executive from a coach. Right, yes. Because uh, Pierre Lacroix would it's, it's, not I, have been I don't even know why they call as, it as a builder category. But he was. Whatever. And Ken Hitchcock would not right. have been as successful. Uh, heck of a coach, though, and now joining Lacroix in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Hitchcock, as I said, with the Stars those years gave the abs fits. One of the teams that really did. Uh, five players inducted, like I said, only seven goaltenders inducted in the last 30 years. Trying wow. to get that, right? It's wow. hard to believe, isn't it? Seven Underrepresented, goaltenders. Underrepresented. Right. Well, say? they tried to fix it this time. Uh, Hendrik Lundqvist, of course, a no-brainer. That's uh, a no doubt about Also, it. Tom Barrasso, longtime Penguins oh, a goaltender, and Mike Vernon, Calgary, and uh, famously yeah, known they, as a particularly messy fight with here. the Red Wings. Right. Fight we we knew Patrick him Wong. here better as uh, a goaltender shared responsibilities with Chris Osgood. Uh, during uh, the beginnings of what became uh, the greatest rivalry in all of major professional sports in the mid to late 1990s, uh, 30 for 30, uh, devotes uh, an entire episode, oh, yeah. or was it two parts? I, I think, think it was two parts. two parts. Go, go stream to that. To cover uh, the rivalry in its uh, full measure. But, uh, yes, uh, Vernon... Won a Stanley Cup as the primary goaltender of the Calgary Flames in 1989 against Patrick Waugh's Montreal Canadiens. And the two were actually pretty good friends. And Patrick was not close to many in the goaltending fraternity. He was close to Mike Vernon. And it does come out in that marvelous 30 for 30. Another, the last selection is uh, Caroline Willett. You may not know the name, obviously. Uh, uh, now the third uh, female hockey player inducted into the hall. If you had any questions about the credentials of in a 20-year Olympic career, never lost a final. Four for four, four straight gold medals. One of only five athletes to win a gold medal at four straight Olympic games. Six-time world champ, six-time silver medal winner uh, as, a def- as a defender for the uh, Canadian national team. So uh, we let also in that the, maybe the the most notable snub um, 
surprisingly, again, I remember this being an issue last year, uh, Alexander McGillney, McGillney, a thousand point score in the NHL, but I, also I don't quite understand. Uh, and, and, and McGillney had to do something other guys didn't have to do because McGillney had to defect to play in the NHL. He had to defect from Russia. So Much I'm, like the Stasny brothers. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little surprised that, that McGillney uh, was not in, but I have the feeling that he most certainly will remember, by the way, not only um, more than a point-a-game guy in his career, 1,032 points in 990 games, one year, 76 goals, yeah. and, and, a bit, and a bit of uh, and, you know, making a personal sacrifice to defect uh, to make sure he could play in the league. It seems like McGillney may be overdue, but uh, five uh, players so. and uh, the two, uh, Coach Ken Hitchcock and Executive Pierre Lacroix, the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, and, and, uh, and listen. I'd, the induction will happen I in like uh, November. I like Hitchcock uh, a lot. I don't pretend in, uh, to, to know him uh, that well. My friend Terry Fry. Um, was around Hitchcock a lot uh, when he was uh, with Dallas and and even before that and and knows him exceedingly uh, well and he in no way am I suggesting that Ken Hitchcock shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. I was just drawing the distinction between his coaching right. and Pierre's oh, yeah, executive no, roles. career. And I imagine both Pierre and Ken Hitchcock at times uh, gave thought to uh, in Pierre's case coaching and. Ken Hitchcock's case being in charge of an entire operation, but uh, I don't know that uh, either went as far as Bill Parcells went uh, in saying uh, famously at one point, uh, if I'm going to cook the meal, I should be able to shop for some of the groceries. Give this to Hitchcock, by the way. Uh, Stanley Cup champs back with Dallas, of course, in the 99 season. A career-winning percentage of 599. Keep in mind, that's because he was the initial coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets expansion team. Yeah. That expansion team, he still guided to a, fi- a 504. <laughs> Every other team he'd been with, with Dallas, that's 614, right. with yeah. St. Louis, 650, 614 right. again with Philly. Yeah. Uh, those are some He never numbers. failed. Now, he did get <laughs> fired, but he never failed. And he was one of those victims of uh, the, the ancient hockey philosophy that after three or four years, no matter who you are as a coach, your players get tired of you, even in a free agency era in which players change teams all the time. The Denver, There's that old bromide that, you know, three or four years. Sense, is because the players swap all the time anyway. It's bizarre. But uh, we turn our attention back to the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets make a, a trade. Now they have three picks, including a first rounder. What will they do with it? Well, uh, ESPN has a mock draft out now in the last uh, little bit, including this trade. We'll see where they look. Oh, and, and for both rounds? For both rounds. See oh, if they get a little closer goodness. to what we're doing. We'll find out right. next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Some news for your champion Denver Nuggets. Bruce Brown, Cowboy Bruce, opts out of the deal as expected. I mean, it, it was, uh, I even hesitate to, it was 100% he was opting out. None of this is new. It's just going to be the case that he opts out. Uh, the Nuggets- As almost 100% of yeah. players do. And I said the other day that it was a mix, and that was probably uh, poorly stated on my part. 
uh, Gary Trent exercised his option in Toronto. Otherwise, every player I've heard of has declined uh, the option. Uh, Kuzma has. Obviously, Draymond Green we talked about the other day at length. Uh, Bruce Brown now. Uh, Bruce Brown and Draymond Green are probably the two best players out there in free agency. Quite possibly. I mean, unless you really uh, love I, Russell Westbrook or you're one of the maniacs who please, loves Kyrie Irving. Please. You know, it's not please, Luka Doncic. Please. The Nuggets make the make a trade. They move up today. So we'll find out with Bruce Brown. The, the Nuggets can offer Bruce Brown seven point seven million or seven point eight million, depending on how you want to round it. Uh, they can offer him that much of a raise, about a million dollars. And that's what they can do this year under the CBA because they want, uh, in the effort to eliminate super teams, they want to avoid the we'll sign multiple years, then they decline the option, then they get paid a ton of money, that they try to break that. So if you have an option included, you now are limited on how much of a raise you can give them over that initial contract. And so that's what the Nuggets issue is there. Other teams don't have that. Otherwise, he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, If he were to come back on a a one-year deal, then you can make... Uh, a, a different offer with early bird rights, or you can offer him as much as a two-year deal with that same number. So you could say maybe two years, roughly $15 million, yeah. you could get that done. So that's right. going to be up to Bruce Brown. But the Nuggets are, are not waiting to find out. They make a trade. They made a trade during the finals to uh, the, obtain a first-round pick in 2024. They flipped that to Indiana. When as team, we suspected yeah, they I would. told you earlier in the week that Indiana was looking to move out. Uh, they get the 29th pick and the 32nd pick as well as keeping their 37th pick. Right. Now, that gives them the opportunity uh, maybe to package those to even move up a smidge further if there's a player they really like, maybe in that 25 range. I don't know if you can uh, jump much higher than that. Uh, obviously, you'd have to find someone you think would be pretty impactful because the Nuggets are looking for rookies that fill a role for two reasons. One, because that's all they need right now. You're looking for guys on the bench that, that fill particular roles for a few minutes a game. Two, given their salary issues, they have the highest six highest payroll in the NBA. Uh, you have to start filling with some rookie contracts, some veteran minimums contracts. Uh, that's just where the Nuggets are at. They're in the high rent district now. They are, and you would think if they are, in fact, looking to move up even further, not much further, but further yeah, than you can 29, nibble. nibble around. And again, the subject of a backup point guard or a backup center comes up and you would have reasonably good candidates between 20 and 30 in this draft, you would imagine pretty good candidates to fill either spot. A lot of upperclassmen available for sure. Backup center. More experienced guys available. Uh, ESPN.com, Jonathan Giveney put that together uh, uh, on the fly. Good for him for trying to adjust and adapt, including now that the Nuggets have traded. Here's what they suggested. They suggested that at uh, 29, Ben Shepard, the senior out of Belmont, who uh, really could shoot the lights out, a versatile guy. That's six, who they had Indiana taking a few days ago. Yeah, six, they still believe that's a fit for the Nuggets because of his ability to hit the threes. Small forward, 6'5". Yep, and uh, shot 41% from three, uh, averaging 18.8 in the workouts. For other teams, obviously, the Nuggets didn't really know they had these picks necessarily, but uh, looked really well uh, when talking about their shooting uh, situations, and obviously the Nuggets could uh, use guys that can knock that down. And with some versatility, I don't know if that's uh, the biggest need, but if they feel that that's the biggest player and ready to contribute, then I think that's that's perfectly fine. It does give you something of a hedge. At 32, 
Uh, the Nuggets, they have the Nuggets picking Marcus Sasser, the point guard out of Houston, one of the players that I did talk about, a senior there for a Houston team that was really good. I don't think he'll be a first-round pick. So I don't either. either. And uh, and that's the kind of guy that, you know, 16.8 uh, points as a rookie, the 3.1 assists, but a, a the primary ball handler on that offense. That team was number one for a decent part of the season. He'd have to change his number. He wears zero if he wanted that one. But uh, Marcus Sasser might be a, a fit. That's what the ESPN folks believe that would be the case. And then their 37th pick, they have the Nuggets picking Gregory Jackson the second, the six foot nine power forward out of South Carolina, who averaged 15.4 points and 5.9 rebounds. That would give you a semi pseudo Bruce Brown replacement, a ball handling point backup point guard, and a six foot nine big man. Right. That would actually be sort of what the Nuggets are after. Uh, you get yourself some flexibility in one of those picks, and and maybe that ends up being a fit. Uh, Gregory Jackson, by the way, uh, a freshman, and a freshman averaging 15.4 and 5.9 uh, for South Carolina uh, in that in that first year, which is actually you know sort of pretty pretty decent numbers. I think were the Nuggets able to come away with something like that? Uh, Jalen Wilson, one of the players you talked about, yeah. they have projected going 39 to Charlotte. Right, uh, one of those options. Uh, Jalen Pickett, another one of those guys that I talked about being a, a Penn potential State. Penn State. They have going 42. So you can get an idea of the kind of talent that the Nuggets are selecting from. But this gives them an opportunity to take three players, maybe stash one in Europe if they decided to go that route. Or uh, it does give them the, the spot. If they want to move up and grab uh, someone in that 24-25 range, they probably do have the ability to do so. Uh, now, one of the, the ones- same mock draft. At Najee, the Barcelona center, six feet, 11 inches mm-hmm. tall, going to Indiana. It would originally Cleveland's pick at 26. Right. So that wouldn't involve much of a jump. No, and you've uh, already worked but, with the Pacers, so you could give Indiana's, it back. Indiana's got that pick, and maybe they don't want They didn't to want to trade that one away. Uh, one of the interesting choices that might be a guy that's, that's kind of in flux that uh, right now, uh, appears to have been dropping a little bit simply because not flashy. And guess what? A lot of guys aren't flashy. Play for the Denver Nuggets. Is the the power forward Chris Murray out of Iowa? Who at, Love the, him. at the moment? Love him. Uh, he's he's just a he's a good player. They have him at twenty four yeah. uh, with the Sacramento Kings, and perhaps that's the kind of player that if if the drop starts to sit around there, uh, I could see Calvin Booth think that's the kind of guy that I can jump on that can immediately contribute uh, for this I, team. I think he could play here. I. I, I I've seen him a little bit uh, at Iowa, and he's just a good basketball. And part of the player. reason he's not a star, the Kings are attached to him is they drafted his brother Keegan, right? Last year, yeah, and and Keegan showed some signs, uh, especially in the playoff series against Golden State, of being very much a keeper for uh, Sacramento, and uh, and that's a fun story. Chris but Murray's then again, player. Chris and Keegan are twins, so maybe you don't need that kind of duplication on the roster. Literally, when it comes not to the player or the name, yeah. but the size and the position yeah. necessarily. Well, so you know, but I I think drops being, into that being area. That they're twins, the personality types are probably similar, uh, compatible. You yeah. would assume, right? Would but assume. but I think there are some chances that that could be something of a fit too. Uh, there are going to be some intriguing. Uh, players in that 20 range, and now all of a sudden, uh, that 24-ish range to 29, I think the Nuggets are in play. Yeah. And so that adds a little bit of uh, excitement for tomorrow's draft. Absolutely. I think, for, for Nuggets I, I think so. Uh, you know, they're 
barely in the first round, but they are in the first they're round. They're expecting to get someone oh. to, I think they're expecting to get someone out of this draft that yeah. will make the roster and basically. Oh, I think so. Uh, At least one. Do At least what one Peyton make Watson did, which yeah. is probably sit for the vast majority of the year, right. but hopefully as the year goes along, maybe earn a couple minutes here and there well, situationally. You know, actually, uh, I know during the season I was uh, baffled at times by uh, Malone's substitution patterns. But I, I thought late in the season, especially when they were resting some people and mm-hmm. Peyton Watson got a chance to play a yeah, fair amount, moment, he was impressive to me. It was impressive to me that he was ready, first of all. Yeah. Because not everyone he is. He did not, not appear to be ready coming in. I mean, it was a shock of a first-round pick. 2.1 points but per game. Good for Malone for playing him. Yes. And sensing that he was ready Malone likes defense. to get some exposure without crippling him no psychologically. Right. And good for him uh, for being ready. And I think uh, one of the benefits of drafting somebody who averaged, what was it, three points? 2.1. 2.1. Lowest in history, I believe, for the 2. first 2.1 yep. points per game in college is that he won't, come into the pros with offensive delusions of grandeur. <laughs> One would hope not, and certainly hasn't seemed to be. So uh, the Nuggets do have guys to replace. Remember, uh, Jeff Green, Reggie Jackson, DeAndre Jordan, Ish Smith, all free agents, uh, unrestricted, uh, Thomas Bryant as well, and uh, even a cap hit of $1.99 million for DeMarcus Cousins falls off. You want a, an odd one. The uh, the cap hit for the Nuggets actually spread over the couple next couple of years for DeMarcus Cousins impacting it a bit too. But they have a little bit of work to do, but now they are armed with three picks that will work on the salary for them was they have three max players and hopefully in the ability as well. We'll find out tomorrow. Thanks to Drew Creaseman for joining us, talking a little bit about the Rockies. Obviously, it's a disaster, but hey, uh, Nolan Jones looks pretty good. That's, that, that's good. And Kyle Freeland continues to battle. And of course, uh, Sandy Pointed out Daniel Bard's story still continues to be compelling. The best ERA on the Rockies. Thanks to Drew for joining us, even though the Rockies lost again today. Eight straight, and now on a back on that 100-loss pace. Danny Bailey's in the booth making everything look and sound good. Thanks to all of you who caught us over the air on MyLifeSports.com. Whether you're listening to it or watching it, you can do that as well on the website. You can also do that on the app. Watch or listen, plus everything on demand at the tip of your fingers. Go get the Mile High Sports app wherever app store you use. We have it right there, and you'll get all of it crystal clear whenever you want it. We'll be back tomorrow with more. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports. And think of the summers of the past. Adjust the bass and let the alpine blast. Pop in my CD and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back because it's summertime. 